Happy Holidays, and Merry Christmas from New Trier Performing Arts Stories. For many years at New Trier, the days that Suzanne Adams would hand out scene assignments were known as Christmas. So it's only fitting that she would once again be our guest on Christmas Day. In part two of my interview with Suzanne, we talk more about casting and play selection. But we do that while talking about one of my very favorite parts of the performing arts department, the forensics team. Here now is part two of my 2023 interview with the one and only Suzanne Adams. And we are back. We are talking with Suzanne Adams, the matriarch emeritus of the Nutria Performing Arts Department. And we've been talking about the curriculum in particular. And before we move on to other things, because there's one other thing I really want to talk about. But when we talk about individuals and roles and, and where they're going and sort of building better humans, there was something else that you were doing in that process that I want you to comment on if you could. And that is, you were you were absolutely extraordinary. And we talked about this last year at casting. But you were also unbelievably attuned to what was working and what wasn't, even when the performers you were working with weren't necessarily. And that I think is the mark of like, you know, that's the, that is world's greatest director material. But was there something that you were doing on purpose in your training for yourself and or your training with us that gave you a sense? How did you know when a scene or for that matter, just a, a moment with performers that you're working with, how did you just get that instant sense that it was that it was clicking, it was working, it was right? And you were able to then turn to us and say that right there, you've got it putting aside all those nice things that you said about me uh, and trying to answer the question, casting for a play, I hate it. Right. You mentioned because they're winners and losers. Right. 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 I, and also, I think because I tended to, I think I even said this at the time, I tended to see what I thought people were rather than what they looked like. So I, and what they look like does possibly matter for some plays in some circumstances in other plays it doesn't you know you could you could have somebody very very small playing Cyrano and it's interesting to to see that thought but how did I know when it was right one thing is it was physical I, I get kind of trembles right up through here I do even in uh, when a scene is going well I can actually have a physical sensation when it's not going well, it's usually because something is interfering with the truth of what's going on. I, I was thinking about a, a Romeo and Juliet balcony scene one time, and you know, it is so easy to get very floral and stuff like that. And the truth of the matter goes out the window. So I had the Juliet. Uh, improvise just random thoughts about the boy she was interested in at the time, you know, just what, what was good about him, what was good about him. And then secretly I took Romeo aside. And when she was deep into this, I really like him. And it had you know, little giggles. Oh, why couldn't Juliet have some little giggles when she's talking about Romeo? I had a 
Romeo, the Romeo, rush onto the scene and say, I heard that. And then, of course, her, her <laughs> what man is this that thus we screamed tonight? So, you know, it was like the, the real, whoa, whoa, you know. So she could take that moment of truth. How did she really respond if somebody had overheard her saying something so intimate and for that name was just, you know, part of the take all myself. Helping to create the authentic moment. Yeah. Interesting. And, yeah, and then you, you take that memory of what what happened in your body what happened in your voice your face your you know what did you do because it's not adjectives you know it, it would be terrible to say oh juliet be surprised you know <laughs> right be things you know it's really interesting how I, i'm doing some writing now and it's interesting how writing is the same thing you know you, the old saw show don't tell in writing don't not ber verbs with adjectives but action verbs and that's what an actor of course needs actions interesting something you said that i want to go back to because it's 100 percent true in in my experience with you personally but i think also everybody else would would agree and it also serves as a perfect sort of way to segue into the other major thing that i wanted to talk to you about today and that is something you just described when something's really working that there's kind of a you went through a kind of a physical reaction there was a trembling you said and you you moved your hands and you and but the thing was as you were saying that and I you know it's it's an audio podcast so y'all can't see this but I could see in your eyes your sort of reliving and that in your in your face you know you were kind of feeling that moment and I can tell you from the standpoint of having been one of your students that that was something that we were all very aware of in you and that we could all see when you had that reaction. And there was probably nothing else in the universe that we craved more mm -hmm. as actors there than to see you have that reaction. And the way it segues in is that I'm going to tell you, I'll get to tell one of my performing arts stories here. The moment I remember most, and this has to do with a performance in senior year, for some reason, and we briefly touched on this last year, you came to the conclusion through, again, my journal writings and whatever was happening in class, and uh, the same true for Carolyn Novak, now Carolyn Rands, that somehow the two of us were perfect to play Elliot and Amanda from Private Lives. And that these 17-year-old kids who had never actually dated each other, much less been married or divorced or anything like that, had somehow could, could find these characters. And one of the very first days, we were performing on the M183 class stage. And it was just during the class. And you allowed us to sort of break into groups and run our scenes. And Carolyn and I had sort of shanghaied the stage for a few moments so that we could get some of the blocking worked out and get kind of a feel for where each of us would be as we were doing this. And as the class went on and we were running our lines together, you were standing down on the floor in M183 in the, the classroom below the stage. And at some point, I became aware, and then because I became aware, Carolyn became aware, that you were standing there and you were watching us. And that reaction that you just showed me a moment ago, that trembling, that thing in your face, that th that that brightness, that wow moment was in your eyes and there's no 
there's no high there's there's no thing that you can do that that matches that feeling from the standpoint of people who were working with you and just so you know that but what was interesting was it created this sort of very self-conscious moment for both Carolyn and me because we, no, we, we, because it wasn't because what had happened was the other students in the room had noticed that you had kind of stopped and you were fixated on us. And so they had all stopped. And suddenly everybody was watching Carolyn and me working on this part of this scene. And and so we just kind of stopped. And that was the moment when you said you you have to do this for more than just this class. And what you were speaking of, of course, was forensics, mm -hmm. which I didn't know was a thing when I started high school. It, it is essentially, for those who don't know, it is competitive acting. It is acting on a team. And forensics, along with WNTH, were the only two things that I did start to finish all four years at Nutrier. That's how much I loved being part of forensics. And so we obviously greatly expanded that and, and went on and, and did that. And that was extraordinarily successful. And at some point, Carolyn, who I know is listening to this show, will come on the show and we will talk more in depth about that, <clears throat> which is my second attempt to get her to come on the show. But I want to talk about forensics more specifically and how you came to be involved in it and how you may and, and similarly how you made choices for because in that particular case you're not making a choice based on what's right for the actors because it's not a class you have a show you have something that's in mind it's essentially your casting mm -hmm. how did you decide what was right for productions that would go out for forensics okay First, I'd like to go back to something you said. Okay. <laughs> that, that feeling that uh, oh, yeah. in the top of my head, uh, that was something I got from you guys. When, when you talk about a high from seeing that, I got a high from your acting. And so this was part of the joy of the whole job I, I really if i hadn't needed the money i would have done it for free absolutely <laughs> uh, forensics has been around for a while a long time neuter always had a top debate team and it was kind of associated with that and sometimes when there weren't enough speech teachers available i got wound into teaching the beginning debate class, which I had no preparation for, zero. I never did it. I never studied it. I didn't know anything about it, but I read the books and I have tremendous respect for it because I think in terms of clear thinking, it's just a fabulous thing to do. And to have to argue two sides of a question, you know, you never know whether you're going to be on which side of which it. side, right? Whether you really believe or whether you don't believe or but can you see them both? It's great training. So Mr. McGee had said, would I take some actors? And I had been unhappy with the thought that there were some wonderful actors and some wonderful work that wasn't ever going to be seen beyond M183. So I was I was interested in doing it. I did do forensics all the, all the years. It is not my first love because it is, as you say, competitive. And I am all about communal art form thing and subsuming yourself in the interest of the whole. And this is sitting there watching other scenes and then 
bingo going up and in immediately into your own scene. And also it is something that has gone on with drama teachers for a long time. And there are many, many scenes that I would categorize as looky me theater. Uh, there are little conventions. There's a certain way to introduce the scene that the judges expect you to do, whether or not it's really the way the scene should be introduced. <laughs> right. According to me. Um, but anyway, okay, we'll do that. And so and then, and then somebody like Hal Sparks, who was doing original comedy, and there was at that time no format for original comedy, one person stand up for a bigger audience at Dutrier. So there was in forensics. So he could go in and he got a funniest teen in Chicago award for out of his forensic work. And you would have gone to state if you had just decided to do it. If Carolyn and I had decided to do that for, for private lives. That's true. That is true. Probably would have won it. Well, you would, but, but interestingly, that was not your highest priority. I think you were in a cast then, weren't you? Uh, well, there, there were a couple of things. First of all, that's enormously kind of you to say. And what happened was, Carolyn obviously was one of the most beautiful girls ever to attend Nutrier. And a school, by the way, that was filled with beautiful, talented, intelligent, amazing women. But she had, I believe, modeling commitments that were coming up at the same time. I was doing Love's Labor's Lost. And I was overlapping a little bit and was very much looking forward to Cyrano, which was coming up shortly with you and definitely wanted to do that as sort of my swan song, be part of that experience at, at Nutrier. And so she and I having won districts, which was a wonderful experience. And, and by the way, let me come back before I tell you that to come back to something that you just said about the thing about it being competitive acting. And that's very true. But one of the things that I found really great about forensics was while it was competitive, it was also kind of an opportunity for us all to go out and see a bunch of kids from other schools. And we got to watch each other's performances. And there was something truly fun in that. There were a lot of really great performances. And even if you didn't win, a lot of the time winning didn't matter. Mm -hmm. What mattered was that it was a fun day to go out and watch a bunch of these really cool short performances. It was like getting a ticket to go see, you know, 20 plays in a day. Mm -hmm. And so that was really neat. Part of that might be also because I didn't necessarily, you know, have a lot of success in terms of winning until this moment with Carolyn. And suddenly when we did this piece of private lives, there was something magic in that. Mm -hmm. And we were going out on the road and we weren't just performing it. We were slaying it every single time. And by three or four weeks into doing that and touring with that show with her, I almost developed a little bit of swagger because I'd never walked in expecting to win. And now suddenly that was kind of the norm. So that was very unusual for me and great fun, obviously. <laughs> My very first experience in forensics, and I did this, I would tell you, I auditioned for this exclusively because you were directing it. And as a freshman, you just didn't get to see Mrs. Adams. If you wanted to work, it was the chance to like go straight to the end and work with the great, you know, right? So, so you did, you you chose a one act play that is still one of the funniest things I have just ever seen. And it was called The Pot Man Spoke Sooth. And I'm embarrassed to say, I, I'll have to Google it to find out who wrote it because I've forgotten the name of the playwright. But I got to play Colonel Wiggins, who is one of the four main characters. 
And Laura Herstritt, who was just magnificent as my wife, because she's the straight woman. And she had this, she could deadpan a line. She could say the funniest thing with a completely straight face and leave it for the audience. Like there's a bit at the beginning where she says, you know, there ought to be a law <laughs> against printing. And, and I'm looking at her like, of course, there's a, we're talking about murder and she against printing such things. Oh, yes, of course. But <laughs> it, it, just absolutely wonderful. But again, you're you're reading an unbelievable number of plays. How did you make decisions like that about which plays should be going out to do like one act plays for forensics? Oh, if I can broaden it to both forensics and nuclear plays. Sure, please. I tended to pick things that, well, first of all, you know, can we do this? Can we physically put this play? Are there people who can do this? Uh, but also, is this kind of hard? Is this is this difficult? Is this challenging? Is this something that isn't seen everywhere? Something that Hotman spoke sooth is not uh, everybody's. <laughs> it's not a typical play, right? It's not a classic. Totally right. <laughs> it is not a play you're going to walk down Broadway, and, and that is absolutely true, and so, yet hilarious. Totally hysterical play. It is right. funny if you if you have people who can do it, and and obviously we did. So that that. Um, Every good boy deserves favor. Did we have an orchestra that would play on stage and be part of the action? Well, yes, we did. Bruce Fowler was all enthusiastic about that. And uh, our country's good. Did I talk about this last year? No, no, you did we, not. Please. Going to Mr. McGee, the first two pages of it are a discussion among sailors of English, let's say, flesh. And, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I went to Mr. McGee and said, I think this is really an important play. It has to do with some themes that I, I, I think we want to endorse, but it also is controversial and it might get some protest in the neighborhood. And I love Nutra. I don't want to get us in trouble. So would you take a look at it and see what you think? And he said, no, if you like it, if you believe in it, we'll just do it. I don't need to read it. So there was that kind of freedom. But it was a, a bouncy play and a good play. Yes, you were telling the story. I remember you did mention that last year. You just didn't mention what the name of the play was. I so mm. I didn't I didn't make the connection. But that that comes back to something again. You mentioned Ralph McGee, who was, and I learned this from our podcast interview with you last year, was far more instrumental and his support far more important to the performing arts department in New Trier than I think I ever knew, or that for that matter, most students ever realized. And that level of support was, you mentioned, incredibly important to you and to the department. And so that's kind of, that's something else that I think is, it, it points to one of the things that made New Trier and New Trier's theater department work in that time was that level of support. And for him to be able to say to you, Suzanne, if you like it, it's going to be good. And 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 I'm I'm sure your response was that's great, thanks. But <laughs> no, I really I, think you should look at this. <laughs> no, I took it. That was a present that I have kept all my life that, that he gave me that kind of trust. So you're making those decisions. You find the plays that you you think are going to to work, and you've got the the cast for it. The casting process is very different from the Christmas days process because when you did Christmas in class, everybody's a winner basically. Everybody, you know, everybody gets a great role. And casting for shows, there's there's winners and losers, and there's just kind of this a very different dynamic for it. 
forensics is kind of an in-between place for that in a way, I suppose, because if if you're not in, if you don't get in the one act play, well, you know what? We've only got one person for humorous interp and we need three. You know, there's always there was always that kind of sense that there's don't walk away from forensics because we got other stuff. Yeah. So when you were looking at people, did you ever watch someone rehearsing or or auditioning for one role for something in forensics and immediately think, wow, this person is not right for this role, but you know, and and immediately have an idea for something else that you wanted them to do? Sure. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You said you did forensics every single year that you were at Nutria. Do you remember? I may not have done it the last year. I think I had a group of graduating seniors that year. And so that's a special time commitment that so Absolutely. I, I don't I don't remember. When I was at Nutria, I did forensics myself. I did poetry interp. You did it as a student as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Is that where you found the instincts for the timing of it? Because it is in a way like doing a play in a theater. And yet in another way, it's not because it is a much smaller and more intimate space. And you're inhabiting the character, but there's not nearly as much projection, if you will, that's necessary. And this is interesting to me because, you know, with several of of the guests that I've had this year who have done a, a good deal of film and television work, there's a significant difference between stage performing and film and television performing in terms of how the actor behaves and works. And and incidentally, when you listen to Rain Wilson's answer to that question, you will be so proud of him. He is just, it's a magnificent answer. And he, he really does demonstrate so much of, of all the things that you taught all of us. It's just, it's really cool. But when you're teaching acting on a, at a forensics level, are you having to scale back bring all the emotion but scale back the projection or how you know how do you coach an actor on how to adapt a performance into that medium that, that's a very good point uh, we had a unit on film acting in senior year and uh, i'm very humble about that because one of my experience was when encyclopedia britannica had asked me to film teaching a class and I just had had no experience. Well, I'd had a little film acting when I was in high school, also with Britannica, but uh, I'd never been in charge of it. And so we made this movie and they were going to pay me some some something that seemed like a lot of money at the time. And it was so awful that there was one point that was bearable. And it was when Macbeth again reached over and picked up a wine glass. That wasn't too bad, that moment. Everything else was excruciating. So I didn't expect accept the money and I didn't encourage them to go forward with producing the thing, which they didn't. Uh, so film acting is very different. And one of the things that I was trying to bring across in the acting for film unit was this matter of scale and projection. And uh, you know that the camera is right there, right on top of you. You don't need to blow it to the end of the house. Uh, and forensics is similar to that. It didn't seem a problem because, by and large, maybe the forensic actors 
I don't know. They maybe they were a quieter bunch of people, or, or more introverted, or uh, <laughs> but I, I don't remember. Well, they weren't quieter because I was one of them, so we know that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, there is a question of scale, but also scale in terms of time. And there were very strict time limits and right. material limits. I mean, some things. I think Jimmy True did a cry of player scene that was criticized because it it's ending which it's discreetly behind a piece of furniture but it obvious what's going on and they thought that was a real tut tut so oh whatever whatever is there anything else about curriculum or or forensics since we're talking about forensics as well that was special that you really wanted to bring to your time at Nutrier and that was really important to you the saints became more and more personal as the years went by. They were pretty personal in junior year, which was essentially a scene study year. And then senior year, they were very personal, very emotion memory centered, and also broadening out into dialect work and voice and diction work, but dialect particularly so that this character lives in a different country, has a different culture. How are you going to do that? It's not just another human being, but another human being that's had a series of experiences that are so different. So what kind of research do you have to do to, to bring a character like that to life? And what does that mean? And I think having having lived abroad was helpful and uh, doing a lot of reading and having all the all the life experiences were, were helpful, and I I think that it pushed people maybe into feeling that there was there are really no boundaries to any self. We are each other. Where you can be anybody. There's there's nothing human that can be foreign to you. There are no human beings that are foreigners find it it's there this connection and then when that happens oh how glorious that is uh, whether it's in acting or diplomacy that's a wonderful thought not just for theater but for humanity in general isn't it I and mean, that nothing human can be foreign to me and there's a unifying force in that statement that is hopeful for the world i suppose so uh, we have been talking today with the one and the only suzanne adams and Suzanne, I can't tell you uh, what a great pleasure it always is to have you on the show. And I, I thank you for your time and for finding the curriculum in the attic of your house. And I genuinely hope that you put that in a book that we can all run to the store someday and have a treasured autographed copy of on our, uh, on our shelves. Thank you so much for being on the show. Rain, thank you. This was a present. This was really meaningful and wonderful. Thank you so much for it. This episode of Nutria Performing Art Stories is a copyrighted production of Narratives, LLC. It is written, directed, produced, and edited with great care by yours truly, Dwayne Burkhardt. If you have any comments or suggestions, please email info at NutrierPADStories.com. And please join us next week when our guest will be TV and film star Jim True Frost. Until then, thanks for listening. Please hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time.